трибунах олеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Russian Football News Podcast. Um, we've obviously had the end of the regular season, so we'll be going into depth on that. And then we're going to also look at the Confederations Cup, which of course is taking place in Russia this summer. So joining me as per usual, Russian Football News website editor Toka Thielade, how are you? Hey Thomas, how are you? I'm alright, thank you. Fresh from your football manager exploits, obviously, with Bromby. Oh yeah, obviously. Yeah, Maybe we'll mention it later. I don't know. But um, and we've also got Andrew Flint, of course, a writer from the website. Hey guys, good to be joining you again. No, no football manager is for you. It seems. No, I, I don't have time for that. I've got responsibilities like uh, cooking and looking after my family. <laughs> so <laughs> bad. No, I will. Do. Bad priorities, I think. Well, I don't know. No, 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 I apologise. <laughs> okay, so we may as well just um go straight in with the the Russian Premier League season, which of course has finished. The table has been decided, and um, for those who don't know, I'll just read it down. I'm not going to bother with the points, so I'll just go 1-16, to 16 and then we'll know. So, Spartak, obviously champions. Uh, CSK, Moscow, and Zenit. No, CSK finished second, sorry, though, so they go to Champions League. Zenit going to the Europa League, along with Krasnodar. And then, then fifth place is Terek. Sixth, Rostov. Seventh, Ufa. Eighth, Lokomotiv, but they get into Europe as well, the Europa League, from having won the Russian Cup. Uh, and then we've got Rubin in ninth, 10th, Amkar, 11th, Ural, 12th, Angie. And then the relegation spots are Arenburg and Arsenal going to the playoffs. And then automatically down are Krilia and Tom Tomsk. So, I mean, Toka, we were talking about this before we came on. We did preview the final round of the league, but it was incredibly unpredictable. Oh, yeah, it certainly was. I mean, we had Spartak losing 3 0 to. To Arsenal, Tula in the last game. Arsenal were beneath the direct, they were in the di- direct relegation zone. So that was obviously a, a huge game. And we had, we had, um, a lot of stake actually. We had Senate and Cisco fighting for the Champions League spot. Both of them had to, had to win the last game. We had Rostov, Turek and Krasnodar fighting for the Europa League. And then, of course, the whole relegation drama where four teams fought to, so either avoid direct relegation or completely avoid relegation at all. So it was very exciting last day, and we had some up and downs. And for example, in the Europa League, we had until late in the second half when Rostov went behind. It looked like Rostov were going to Europa again this season, but then yeah, Krasnodar obviously took the space when the Arenberg won, and that moved Arenberg um, above the direct relegation zone. So a lot of things happened and. It, it it was quite exciting, I'd say. It was. It's always enjoyable to to look at the games of the last game of the season when there's something at stake. So it was, yeah, it was entertaining. I mean, also you... all the games being played at the same time, of course, it helps a lot. Yeah, I wish to be honest, I wish that happened every week, but that's a different story. But um, Andrew, we saw the head-to-head record, the head-to-head classification system really come into play here. So we had Terek finishing ahead of Rostov on head-to-heads, uh, Ural at the bottom, and. There's so much detail here, I can't even read it properly. But I mean, do do you like that system? I think it's utterly ridiculous, Thomas. I mean, we're talking about a league championship. The whole point about a league is it measures your progress over a whole season, not on a knockout basis. You know, so if it's something like a World Cup where you have three group games, um, a head-to-head record makes much more sense there. But what's the point of having 30 games if you're going to decide it over two games? 
Um, the number, yes, as Toka's just reminded us, the number of wins as the first deciding factor. I'd say even even that, I'd even rather head to head over number of wins. You know, it's it's just utter madness. Typical Russian football governance, if you ask me. Um, but now you mention you mentioned the bottom of the table. There are actually, in fact, were five teams fighting for relegation, and my team, Ural, uh, thanks to head to head, so not head to head number of wins. Sorry. Um, were um, uh, were above Angie and Orenberg, but had worse goal difference than than both of them. And I mean, anything that keeps my team up, I'm going to be happy with. But uh, it it's just not it's not indicative of performance over the whole season. So, I mean, to to answer your question, Thomas, I think it's I think it's utterly ridiculous. Um, it should be goal difference first, and then then go into number of wins afterwards if you want. Am I right in um, thinking but, yeah. in sorry, sorry, am I right in thinking in Euro twenty twelve, one of the Euros, Russia were knocked out on a head to head or something because of Greece? Is that any of I, you I don't remember Do you remember that Toka? Uh, I don't yeah. remember. I just I just remember the disappointment after the final game after they had played that fantastic game against uh, against Poland and then it all it all uh, Collapsed in the last game, whether it was about uh, to secure promotion to the next round. Yeah, because I seem to remember I was annoyed at it not being gold difference because I remember Greece had just done what Greece did then, be really defensively solid, not play any attacking football and pick up the draws. And then if you went for it more, were more likely to lose. That would sort of count against you. So that annoyed me. But anyway, I mean, Toka, what's your take on this classification system then? Yeah. At the end of the day, I think it's all right. It, it's a bit odd that you have um, that you have number of victories against goal difference, but I think at the end of the day, it's it's the same. It's it's the same thing. I mean, it is based over the whole season. It is the number of victories you get. You award teams for, for going after the victory, and I think that's I think that's a good thing. Um, also, I'd rather see a team who has a lot of victories get the spot rather than a team who are good at. For example, only losing with one or two goals if if we are to look in the bottom. So, I I don't mind. It, it's strange because no one else, as as far as I'm aware, has this system and base things on number of victories. But I think it's I think it's fine. I I really can't see the problem because you do award the teams who go out out and try to pick up victories instead of uh, draws or or narrow defeats. But but one example for at the bottom, we've seen Orenburg go into the playoffs. And Angie finish above them, but they've got the same number of wins. But Orenburg have the better goal difference. Oh yeah, but then it's it's head to head. Well, exactly, difference. that's what I'm saying. So what is there a problem there? No, I th- again, I think that's that's okay. You have two teams finishing on the same on the same um, amount of victories, same amount of points, and everything. Then I think it, goal difference is a fair way to differentiate them because that uh, not goal difference, head to head record. Because okay, then. You're sure you have actually have the best of the two teams staying up. I, I think I can, I really can't see a problem with with that. Of yeah, course, it, it is strange not having goal difference to be more important because we're used to it being a major factor. But I, I mean, I'm fine with the, it. So the the issue I have is though it's it it's not we're not measuring just those two teams. That's the whole point of the league, isn't it? It's against the whole league over the whole season. My one of the other issues I'd raise as well is that. The, the number of wins, I, I get that we want to encourage attacking football, but for me it's almost a bit unfair because football is not just about free-flowing attacking football. That's what we want to see, ideally. But I think there's just as much beauty in seeing a well-organised team 
like um, Carrera's Spartak, they, they were clearly the best team, but they had plenty of 1-0 wins, which were very, very well organised. And I just, I, you know what I don't like is I don't like too much meddling into trying to stage manage, you know, entertaining or what is deemed entertaining football. I just, for me, it just feels a bit, just feels a bit unnatural, really. Um, you know, like over the, I mean, realistic, basically what I'm saying is that my team, well, that realistically should be in the relegation playoffs. Um, so I'm contradicting myself a bit by saying, well, I'm happy for Odell to stay up, but I just, I think it's a bit too artificial. I don't, I don't think it should be so stage managed. Don't talk to me about attractive football and Gianfranco Zola and all that, but that's, that's another thing. The thing is, I actually agree with you there, Andrew, as a neutral. I mean, maybe it's just me. When I'm watching a match on TV, for example, I love watching, I mean, look at Rostov in the Champions League, for example, last year. We saw them put bodies on the line. I love watching that sort of thing rather than a bit of tippy-tappy football personally. But, I mean, each to their own interpretation. Yeah, but, Thomas, you know, what? I, 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 do, I do agree with you. I think, um, I think the point about football is that it should not just be one type of football is what everybody has to, has to play. One of my biggest bugbears in football is when people go on and on about parking the bus, parking the bus. Well, even if you do have a team that really is an exceptionally defensive team, look, that's the point about football. It's a very democratic sport. There are so many ways to play it. And if you really are a good side, you should be able to beat a team. If you really are the champion of a country, you should be able to beat enough games or win enough games in a season, regardless of what style that comes up against you. Why on earth should a side, for example, in the Spanish League in particular, go to the Nukong um, and say, oh, well, we've got to play open, expansive football against the best attacking side in the world, which effectively condemns yourself to defeat? I think there's just as much beauty in Chelsea's Champions League win, uh, was it three, four or four or five years ago, um, when they were backed against the wall. Um, and it, I don't like I don't like it being stage managed. Everybody has to play open, expansive football. That's what we want to see, and that's the end game. But not everybody's at that stage. So I don't know. It just it just slightly slightly irritates me a bit when people try too hard to to to, to falsify attacking football. We have gone gone. Right. I was going to say we've gone way off topic, but I was going to say <laughs> put, put your opinion in because I, I wanted to hear it. I think you're getting a bit ahead of yourself right now. I I don't think any we we weren't talking about promoting attacking football or saying that you have to play a certain way and, and that some kind of football is better than others. I think we're just, we're just talking about how to differentiate between two teams who end up the same amount of points. I think if you look at the table, for example, we can say that the battle for the fourth place. I think we can all agree that Krasnodar do play some attacking football that's it's easy on the eye. It could be enjoyable to watch. But they have less victories than both Tarek and Rostov. I mean, this system doesn't differentiate between how you pick up your victories. You can get 31-0 victories. You can play the most boring um, football in the world. For example, you can play like Rostov or Turek does, defend a lot and pick those 1-0 victories. Or you can play like Krasnodar. I think it, it just comes down to, okay, we want to encourage the team to at least try to get a victory. And this is just a way to differentiate between two teams who end up the same amount of points. I, I mean, it's if anything, goal difference is the thing promoting teams to go out and play attractive football and score a lot of goals. I think this is this is just looking at the victories and then it doesn't matter at all how you get them. The only thing I would say is that with the amount of vic- the number of victories, 
I can't really think of a way of explaining this. So, Andrew, you might have to bail me out with something if I go really badly wrong. But if you're a bottom, <laughs> si- if you're a bottom side, again, if you get a draw at one of the top sides, for example, rather than losing, and then somebody else wins, basically, if a bottom side loses to a to a fellow bottom side, a draw. No, <laughs> Andrew, I've gone way off here. I've gone way off here. But what I'm trying to say is, if a small side beats a big side and is not rewarded for it, do you see what I mean by by points total or something like that? Do you see what I'm getting? Yeah. at? it's a bit of a mess. I, I appreciate that. No, I mean, I, I, I think basically, Tom's. I, I, I've agreed with you already on this point. Um, I think, um, I mean, take of all that. Basically, the, the issue I have with the number of wins is it's sort of, it, it, it is, it is encouraging teams to try and play more attacking football by going for the win. The actual stylistic, the opinions of stylistic play, of course, that's that's just a subjective matter. Um, but you see that that's kind of my point. We're not in a situation like it was in the Soviet League when they, every team just simply agreed for draws away in exchange for you know favourable results elsewhere. When they they did they limit the number of draws that actually counted to I think it was ten draws, wasn't it, a season? After that, if you drew, it didn't count. Well, that that was necessary. I can understand that. That makes sense. But we're not quite at that stage yet. I don't think. Um, but anyhow, I mean, the point is, the end of the season, um, these matters, these measures were needed um, across the Champions League, Europa League and relegation zone. Two points separated um, five teams, all of whom could have been dragged into at least the relegation playoffs. Um, so, I mean, however we separate the sides, the, the point is that the Russian League, um, OK, Spartak being champions was very likely for a long time, but most of the other positions, the Champions League, Europa League, relegation, um, were very, very tight. It was a very exciting end to the season, so um, certainly was interesting going into the last round. I, I want to get away from this debate about the number of wins now. I'm focused back to the table. It was interesting, don't get me wrong, but I've just looked at the, the timescales we've got and I'm thinking, oh God. But um, I don't know if you noticed when I was reading out the table, I, I initially accidentally said that Zenit were going into the Champions League. Now, that was just an optimistic me. And Toka, we've obviously seen them miss out for the second season in a row. So where does this leave Zenit now? That's a good question. I mean, obviously, it's going to be a lot harder for Zenit to attract new players this summer. Champions League is it's it's a deciding factor for many people, and especially when moving to moving to Russia. Of course, if you are to play in the Champions League, that's uh, that's really important for many players, especially young players who are looking for Zenit as somewhat of a, a stepping stone. Also, the there could be some, it could have some impact on the financial fair play. Of course, Sinner just sold Hulk and Witzel, so they're doing, and, and Garay and Rondon as well uh, earlier. So they're doing pretty well on that front, but they they do need money coming in regularly. And Champions League, it's just, it's such an important, it's such an important thing. And, and the money is so good compared to Europa League, so you can, it, it's a completely different thing. Uh, also, Sinner's reputation is obviously taking a, taking a hit by this. and. And and Luchesco as well. It's it, it'll be an interesting summer. We're already seeing a lot of rumors of all the different guys who could replace him, from Ranieri to a bunch of Italians I don't know very much about. So yeah, that's that's a lot of pressure on. I mean, I, I just looked at the roundtable we did before the season where we had to try where we tried to predict the, the, this season. I've looked and at a lot that. of yeah <laughs> yeah a lot of us said that. Okay, we we thought Sinner would win. No one predicted Spartak as far as I remember, but 
we were all pretty certain Senate would win. They they started the season very well. They had Giuliano in, in perfect form. They I still think Senate have on paper probably the um, the strongest squad in the in the league. Uh, if you go player for player, but yeah, this this has been embarrassing. Is probably too big a word, but it it really hasn't been good. And 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 Champions League should just be certain. I mean, last season should finishing third last season. It really should have been a one one thing, and then it happened for the second season in a row. Now it's now it's starting to be worrying for Senate and and especially I mean with Spartak doing so well this season, it's. It's not even certain that they'll come in the Champions League next season because it's suddenly very, very close at the top of the league. Yeah, you do. Um, not next season, but you. But soon there will be the extra place at least. So there is that they can hope for. I mean, Andrew, outs. I mean, outside of Zenit, although you can give your opinion on that as well. Obviously, I'm looking at the rest of the table. Who else is disappointed for you? I'm personally looking at the likes of Rubin. Of course, a lot of hype about them in the summer. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, Rubin. I definitely agree with you on that. Um, and uh, Javi Gracia, I'd say, is another manager who's under intense pressure at the moment. Um, he got he picked up two or three wins in the last few games, but it really doesn't paper over what has been a desperately, desperately poor season for them. Um, I actually, I thought they would get into Europe or at least challenge very, very closely. Um, Closer to the so relegation Rubin, spots. Say again, sorry? Closer to the relegation spots. They're eight points off the relegation oh. playoffs as opposed to the, um, the 11 yeah. points they are off Europe. I mean, that, that, that says it all, really, doesn't it? Um, I think, I think uh, to be honest, not many other clubs massively disappointed me because I think the table actually reflects pretty accurately what um, what the teams should have should have done. Sparta, obviously, it's a huge achievement and no none of us predicted it. Um, for them to to win the title, so they overperformed certainly. I think Krasnodar did slightly disappoint me, if I'm honest. Um, they just they just they haven't kicked on. I expected them. I really expected them to be challenging very very strongly for Champions League places, and they never looked anywhere near that. Um, and now it's uh, I've, I've resigned myself to it a long time ago. But the the greatest. Uh, Best-looking, fantastic football of all time. Uh, Fyodor Smolov looks like he's going to be leaving. And if he does, I'd say Krasnodar are going to struggle even more. So it's a bit harsh to say they qualify for Europe, but Krasnodar, for me, have disappointed a little bit. Um, but I certainly agree with you with Ruben Kazan. I think they probably are the most disappointing. Um, but yeah, that's yeah, that's what I'd say. Krasnodar and Ruben. For me. Toka, would you go with anybody else out of that lot? Maybe, maybe, think... maybe Amkar, I don't know. Amka is the same old story every season. Yeah, they yeah. do relatively well in the in the spring, in the fall. Then we get our hopes up, and in in the spring it turns out that the squad is not good enough. Yeah, that's probably why I'm disappointed, league. to be honest. Yeah, they're never in danger of relegation, but they never really keep up the t- Europe challenge. I, if I had to go with someone, first of all, I think Terek. I was disappointed by the way they ended the season. Luckily, they finished up with some victories, but. Actually, the way they started the spring, where the last threw away a lot of, of points, I, I was quite kind of looking forward to seeing them in in Europe, hoping they would qualify. But I think, apart from the, from those, Andrew have already mentioned, I have to go with Rostov. I know they played in, in in the Champions League. I know they did all these things that, of course, took their minds off the league. But last season, they were they they fight the fall for the championship in the last round of the league, and this season they finish 
21 points behind Spartak. I think you have to look at that as a disappointment, no matter how much they overachieved last season. And, 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 yeah. Also, because this season we did see how well they played. I mean, they did beat Siska, they did beat Bayern Munich and draw against Manchester United. So, obviously, it's still a very good football team. So, for them to finish six and miss out on Europe, I think that's a, that's a massive disappointment. And Andrew, what about overachievers then? I'm look, For example, I'm looking at, well, outside of Spartak now, outside of Spartak, because that's obvious, really. Ufa, yeah. seventh finish, that's pretty good for them. Yeah, I think actually that's a very good point, because not only did they perform well, but they also brought in a very inexperienced uh, head coach in Sergei Semak. I know he's had a good education at Zenit as a coach behind the scenes more. Um, but, you know, you bring in a new manager, it's always a gamble to an extent. Um with Gontrenko leaving to Siska. Um, I, I re- sorry, sorry, Andrew, I'm really interested. I know, I know I've mentioned it lots of times before with Simak. I'm really interested to see his development over the next few years. I think it could be quite exciting. Well, yeah, I think I think it's very exciting. Um, I agree with you because of how how he's dealt with, you know, he's, he's had to have a, a rocky period and he's improved their home form. Because um, don't forget, in the first part of the season, uh, under Goncharenko, they were winning 1-0 away quite regularly, but they could barely barely win at home, and at least Semek has addressed that issue. Um, not a huge amount of investment in the squad, so he had to work, so he had to use his coaching skills to work with what he had. So, yeah, I certainly agree with you on Ufa, uh, overachieving. Um, who else, who else? Well, yeah, like, like I say, not a, not a huge else has really, really shocked me. I was a bit disappointed with with my side, Oral, uh, with the way they ended the season. Um, had they just put together two or three more wins, uh, they could have ended up in a solid mid-table position, um, which I would have said would be, if anything, slightly overachieving. But Ufa certainly. Um, and um, well, yeah, I suppose Arsenal too are just for avoiding automatic relegation. Yeah, I mean, so. Toker, I was going to say perhaps Orenburg. I mean, I know they're in the, the playoffs, but considering they're newly promoted, had a lot of chaos going on at the start of the season. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess you can mention Orenburg. I guess you can say, okay, well done by Anshu to, to survive another season, but I, I, I really don't think we had any, apart from Spartak and Upa, I don't think any other over teams are worth mentioning. Okay, it was nice by Orenberg, it was nice by Arsenal Twitter, but still finishing in the in a relegation playoff. It, I just don't think you can compare that to to what Ufa Spartak did. I, th- I think the, the the two Andrew mentioned they are the true Ufa achievements, and then the rest, okay, nice surprises, but not not that much better. I mean, okay, Arsenal getting twenty eight points, scoring eighteen goals is is that really that much of an award? Yeah, to be fair, I think we were both clutching at straws there, Andrew and I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, yeah. Um, I mean, what I would say for, for Arsenal, though, is that, and, and Orenberg, both of them, their home form was, was very, very good. I mean, I know, I, Toker, I agree with you, it's, you can't over the course of a whole season class it as a, 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 a huge <laughs> overachievement when you have um, so few points. But you look at them away from home, and um, Arsenal didn't win at all. Orenberg won once. Um in fact, Arsenal scored five goals away from home in 15 games. It doesn't matter where you are, what league you are. I mean, even Tom Tomskow scored them away from home. So, um, But 
you know, it's it's what newly promoted or struggling sides should do. They should focus on their home form because that's where you're going to pick up the points. And it's in the end, it's it's worked out for them. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. We're clutching at straws for anything more for overachievers, really. I mean, speaking of Arsenal, Tula, that smooths in quite nicely to the thing I was going to ask next, Andrew. This is relevant to you with the Predictions League. I mean, I, st- I mentioned right at the start of this discussion that this last season threw it all up in the air, especially with that 3-0 win for Arsenal against Spartak at home. So, Predictions League, just give us a quick outline of that crazy last day and also, of course, the overall winner. <laughs> well... Yeah, the predictions game has actually gone it's gone pretty well. We've had about twenty-five regular players. The last three weeks have been absolutely sorry, I'm gonna say the last four weeks have been absolutely mad um in our game. So that anybody who's not played and you're not sure what it is, we, you predict all the results and if you predict the correct results, but not the correct score, you get one point, you get a perfect score, the exact score line, you get three points. So four weeks ago, week twenty-seven, um was a very low scoring week. Uh, but then we we went to we broke our record for the week score, top score thirteen in week twenty-eight. Um week twenty-nine, we got two people, got fourteen points, and then last week, uh the final week, we got half a number of points again. So it went right up and down. Anyhow, the, the winner was Brian Rapelier, who has been top since the winter break. Um yeah, he's been uh, he's been a very consistent performer but there was a lot of movement in and around the Europa League places if you like um but I would just I'll just mention before I sign off in predictions league here is that we're going to be a couple of little changes for next season and we are going to do a little confederations cup predictions game so try and give something for everybody to focus on along those lines before the season starts so guys please keep your eyes open on the Facebook page um there'll be a confederations cup predictions game and a couple of changes to the game for next season. So exciting times here. And just very quickly, before we move on to the Confederations Cup, um, a couple of weeks ago, we had people predict the exact scores on all, all games, right? Could we have a special mention for those? Yeah, oh, absolutely. We did. We did indeed. We had um, uh, three weeks ago, we had, I believe it was, was it Nico Miramont was, uh, and Bailey Power. They both were the first people ever in two years to get eight out of eight results. And it doesn't sound like much of an achievement. That score lines as well, isn't it? Uh, not not all perfect score lines. Oh, they, I thought it was all perfect scores. No, unfortunately not, no, no. But I mean, think of it, think of it in betting terms. If you have an eight-way accumulator, you know, if I sometimes do when I go for the easy games, but this is, you know, three away games plus a draw, and they got all of the eight results correct. I think the odds would have been somewhere in the three to four figures mark. So had they put £10 on that, they'd be very, very rich men right now. Um, but uh, yeah, and then same again in the the week after. So last week, so we had three people in two weeks get eight out of eight results, which is quite an achievement. Oh, that's fantastic. But there's still work to do, still need those correct scores. Um, moving on to the Confederations Cup now. Of course, the pre-World Cup tournament, which is taking place in Russia this summer. The four host cities are St. Petersburg, Moscow, Sochi and Kazan. Um, the groups, just in case people don't know, Group A is Russia, New Zealand, Portugal, Mexico. And then we've got Group B is Cameroon, Chile, Australia, Germany. Um, Toker, obviously I'd rather focus on the, the Russian aspect of this tournament with the, the squad. And we've seen a couple of changes in the squad from the initial um, lineup, if you like. So do you just want to inform the listeners of those? 
Yeah, we had, uh, speaking of Arsenal, truly, we had Arsenal goalkeeper Vladimir Gabalov uh, replace Zenit's Andre uh, Lunyev. He, Zenit uh, goalkeeper was injured, so yeah, he won't make it, of course, unfortunately. Then we had, um, um, sorry, yeah, Mario Fernandez and uh, Zagoy from Siska had to, unfortunately, had to cancel their, their trips because they, they are both injured and no, no replacements have uh, been called up for them. So right now it's down to 28 players and they are leaving for Austria very soon on, on training camp. And then on, I think it's, it's shortly before the tournament. In the beginning of June, Chetishov will announce the final squad. So, and that would be, of course, be 23 players, meaning that, that, uh, five players will have to be cut. One of them, obviously a goalkeeper. And of course, the, Mar- um, not Mario, yeah, Mario Fernandez, of course, leaving with a nose injury, which is quite fashionable. I think there was another player who left another World Cup, uh, I think it was Leroy Sane, is out of the Germany squad with a similar injury. So I don't know what the fashion going on there is. I mean, Andrew, there was a bit of controversy with um, the goalkeeper, like Andrew just mentioned, calling Gabulov up when there seems to be far more options. Yeah, that certainly was an odd choice, really. I mean, Gabulov is a is a very experienced keeper, of course. Um, you know, he played for Dynamo Moscow when they uh, before they got relegated. Um, but actually, one of the strongest positions in the Russian national team at the moment is is goalkeeper. I mean, if you look down the league, um, Spartak um, have Alexander Selikov, uh, who they bought from Amkar. Okay, he hasn't played in the uh, first team, so I don't think he deserves to be called up. But um, you could have chosen even Nikita Medvedev. He had that run, that record-breaking run, without conceding um, for I think it was ten games or even ten and a half games. Um, I, I think I think he possibly uh, even deserved a call up. Um, so yeah, it was it was a bit of a bit of an odd call, if I'm honest, um, because what's I don't really see the point of bringing an an experienced keeper in as the third choice keeper. Doesn't doesn't really make much sense to me. I'm disappointed for Lunyov most of all, though, because he has earned his place in that Zenit side, uh, and and I think not many people would um, disagree. He's been he's been excellent. I mean, Thomas, you're Zenit fan. You've watched him more closely, I guess. Um, which is a real shame for him because the Confederations Cup. I'm a massive fan of for giving. It's just that bit more competitive than a friendly, so it means a bit more um, pressure on the players and gives. A bit more of a test to really work out who what players are up to. You know, if he if Lunyov would be up to an international stage. So should, real shame for him. Um Yeah, the thing with the Confeds as well, Andrews, with Russia in particular, is the host country, of course. Not so much pressure on them, but pressure perhaps they put on themselves for doing well. Yeah, I mean that's that I that I think that's why I'm such a big fan of the Confederations Cup. It's a really it's a logical exercise for so many reasons. But on a playing sense, for that one uh, more than anything. I mean, in Brazil, the pressure on the national team by the time the 2014 World Cup came round was enormous. But the Confederations Cup, you know, I mean, it's a Brazil carnival of football. Uh, it really was a very positive atmosphere out there. And they and Brazil really played with, you know, attacking abandon then. I'm not saying Russia are going to replicate Brazilian football, but the... At the, you know the most going through the motions of being a host country, without the excessive pressure of a World Cup, I think it's absolutely ideal. So I'm really looking forward to this. Um, you know, and you you mentioned the 
the groups, I mean, Russia having New Zealand as the opening game should relieve a bit of pressure. If they, if they can't beat New Zealand at home, then there's serious trouble, but I expect them to win that game. So should start the tournament in a, in a positive manner. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to this immensely. Yeah, Toka, what's your take on the goalkeepers? And also, is there anything else in the squad that you, you'd like to pick out? There are quite a few things, actually, but let's, let's start with the goalkeepers. I'm um, I'm a massive fan of having, your obviously, your first-choice goalkeeper, then a, a, an experienced second-string goalkeeper, and, and bring a young prospect as third goalkeeper. Let's be realistic. The third goalkeeper is hardly going to play. So I don't see the point. Russia have four goalkeepers who are all about 30 years old. I, I really don't see the point of that. Um, and I really don't see the point of taking a 33-year-old Gabalov in the squad as the fourth keeper right now. Might as well bring someone someone young in, bring someone in who can learn. For example, Medvedev, who did fantastic for the rest of the spring. Or oh, it's just I just I think it's really disappointing because there's not really any forward planning in this. I guess uh, Chernyshev took Abulov with him because they know each other from Dynamo uh, a few years back. But yeah, it just it made me disappointed because there's there's really no reason to to call up him. I, I think that, as Andrew said, there are better goalkeepers out there, and there are also goalkeepers with um, with more future. So, yeah, I think that was very disappointing. Another thing I was disappointed with was the fact that he didn't call up Igor Denisov. He had a, a fantastic season for, for Lokomotiv, and earlier this month he even scored in, in the cup final. Um, it probably one of his best seasons in a very long time for him personally, of course not for Lokomotiv, but for him personally, it was it was fantastic, and he has really revived himself. He is he just turned thirty three, but as I am, um, as I, I wrote in a piece of republished sometime probably by the time we had, we published this podcast, uh, there's really no signs of him slowing down, and he doesn't look thirty three in when the when the way in the way he plays. So he could easily be around for the World Cup next year, be one of the experienced players, one of the leaders, and. Yeah, I think that's that's really disappointing. I guess the only the only real reason for Chadshev not to to include him is because they those two had a fallout in Dynamo two years ago. Yeah, when he was banished to the reserves. Yeah. Yeah, Igor Denisov was transfer listed, sent to the reserve after reportedly we don't know if the truth, of course, but reportedly calling Chadshev a clown for for playing uh, Boris Rosenberg over Alexei Kozlov in an important derby game against um, Lokomotiv, which. Which Dynamo then drew two-two. I mean, Andrew, what what's your take on Denisov, and is there anything else in the squad you'd like to pick out there? I completely agree with Toker on um, Denisov. I actually am a fan of Dmitry Tarasov. I think he has the potential to be uh, at least a squad player, but that's the, that's actually what makes this decision even more bizarre. Those two playing alongside each other for Lokomotiv this season. Uh, Denisov has has really shown his quality and experience much more than I think Tarasov's actually had a poor season by his standards. He has had some injuries, admittedly. Um, but I agree with Toko. I mean, I don't think 34 should rule anybody out, especially not somebody who has not just got the experience, but also shown that he has knuckled down and is able to take responsibility in midfield. And that is something Russia are going to need a lot of. They're going to need that sort of presence in midfield, uh, especially as Chichesov has shown himself to be in the process of uh, moving the Beritsutskis and Ignashevich out of the squad um, altogether, which in the long term is something that's inevitable, obviously. 
Um, but if all three of them are not in the World Cup squad, which is a distinct possibility, then you know you, you're going to need an experienced head or two or three even in the squad. I think Denisov he's he's earned the right to be in that in that team. So I think personal issues probably have played their part in it. Um, otherwise, in the squad, I'm actually reasonably happy with the basic principle that Chichesov has gone for, relatively speaking, his own stamp on the squad. You know, and by that I mean he's been very open about playing three at the back, um, listing uh, Ruslan Kambolov as a defender, and he explained that by saying that, uh, you know, he knows he can play in midfield, but he wants a bit more versatility, ball-playing ability at the back. I think that's positive. There are plenty of good young players in midfield. We've got Zobnin, who had a fantastic season for me. Um, Golovin, Ozdoyev even, Miranchuk. Um, they're all in the squad. So, I'm actually, overall, I'm happy enough um, with the squad. But the goalkeeping issue, uh, and Denisov, I agree with Toke on, on both of those. Uh, it's pointless bringing in an experienced third keeper, and Denisov should be there. But other than that, I'm reasonably happy. The only thing I would say, Toke, Andrew mentions there that Chechesov has put his own stamp and he's willing to be quite open about it. The only thing I would say is we haven't actually seen, because he's changed it around so much the whole time, we haven't actually seen a Chechesov squad, I would say. So what do you think he'll go for in this tournament? You mean tactic-wise? Yeah, yeah, just a, yeah, what do you think he would go for and perhaps a couple of key players you'd, you'd pick out? Yeah, that's that's a good question because you're absolutely right. He has experimented a lot. We talked about in a podcast, was it back in February, following a, a series of friendly games where we where we agreed that it was time for him to actually pick a pick a lineup, try to to get some continuity into this team because it is really difficult to predict um to predict the kind of football this this team are going to play and predict the kind of football he wants to play. But when looking at the squad, what what strikes my mind is that he doesn't really have any natural wingers. So I think we'll see a sort of um a sort of three five two or of five three two, depending on how you put it up, because what what uh, in, was interesting was that he listed, for example, Mario Fernandez, Kombarov, Smolnikov. He listed them all as midfielders. So it seems that he is going to play some with uh, some kind of of wing backs, like he did in, in in some of the friendlies. And then, of course, we'll have probably have three in the central midfield, play with two strikers up front. I I really really hope he'll play with two strikers up front, Smolnikov and and Chuba. Um, so yeah, I think that would be the case. It would be interesting to see if he goes with um with two or three central defenders. I guess he can he can mix that up depending on the opponent uh on the opponent's strength. But yeah, something like that. He won't play with wingers because there aren't really any any natural wingers in the squad far by so, Alexander Samira from yeah. Barzak, But that's that's pretty much it, much it. I mean, Andrew, which which do you suspect that he's going to go through at the back then? Yeah, I, I I have no doubt he'll go through at the back. And I think that's the right thing. We've mentioned this for a long time uh, for a number of reasons. Um, mostly for me because, um, well, like Toka says, there aren't many natural wingers. I, I, I'm very happy to see Samedov in the squad. I think he's had a very good season, um, although... You know he's had to adjust to a new side, but I think he offers he offers something that could change a game if needed. He's not he's not going to do it by pure ball skill, but he he'll beat his man. He'll get good deliveries into the box, you know, and to aim for a target man like Juba or even better, like Token mentions, a front two with Smoloff alongside him. That's a good option to have. But three at the back, I think, is is certainly going to be how he's going to go. But 
I, I do I do understand the concerns both you mentioned there about uh, the exact lineup or identity to to what Hugh Churchstoff is going to choose. It's not entirely clear at the moment. Um, what I what I meant by you know being positive about him putting his stamp on the squad, I really meant that he was just he's bold enough to cut out some. Well, the the Beretsuskis and Ignashevich. I think I actually would have picked um, Vasily Beretsuski in the squad um, because if you look at the squad as it stands in terms of just centre backs, uh, there, there's nobody with any major major experience there. I mean, I'm, I'm looking down the list. You've got Andrei Semenyov has got six caps. Neustadt has got five. Ilya Kutupov four. Viktor Vasin four caps. Um, no no centre backs there really with any major experience. You'd so, be pleased that Ziki has got the call up there, aren't you, Andrew? Say again, sorry. You're pleased that Ziki has got the call up after your praise in the previous. Podcast. Yes, absolutely. Um, I am. I, I think I think Ziki deserves to be in the side ahead of Kutupov. I don't. It's, it's coming across like I've got a crusade against Ilya Kutupov now. <laughs> I honestly don't, but I do think Ziki is a good player. So, anyhow, I think three at the back definitely. I personally would go. I think it suits the most dangerous players in the wide areas, which for me are obviously Mario Fernandes and I would go with Yuri Zhirkov um, as left wing-back. I know he doesn't have the pace, but he's a very intelligent player. Um, and that allows three creative players in the middle, or at least two plus a defensive midfielder. So, yeah, I think three at the back is the best way forward. So, in, in midfield, for uh, I, we're basically going through the 11s here unintentionally, but I'm, I'm leading you into this. Um, Toko, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you put Glushikov in midfield, and who else would you put alongside him, do you think? Yeah, if you're doing the, the three, big question, yeah. yeah, the big question is now that we don't have a in the squad, we need someone who can be creative. It, I think it'll probably be um, Golovin, and then he'll go with um, with someone as the holding midfielder, maybe Tarasov. I think that could be a, a midfield three. I don't know; it's, it's it's a difficult one because it depends on how he wants to to set it up. It depends on how offensive it wants to be. Because obviously, when you have three central defenders, you <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The the amount of offensive creati- offensive creativity you can have in the midfield is, is somewhat limited. Maybe Milan should complain instead of Dagov, but I think he might not be good enough in the defensive part of the game. He might be too much of a luxury player for this stage and for for such a big tournament as as a Confederations Cup. So, if I'm to to put down three players, I'll go with Glushikov, Golovin, and then um, and then Tarasov. Would you go with that as well, Andrew? Um, I'd certainly go with at least two of those, I'd say. And Glushkov obviously picks himself. Um, I'd be tempted to go with Zobnin simply because he's played alongside Glushkov all season. And I think he has, uh, he's earned the right to, to at least have a run in the side. I go with, I think, I think I go Glushkov, Zobnin, and Golovin. Miranchuk, I want to say Miranchuk because, especially towards the end of the season, he put in some. Um, spectacular performances, and he is such a talented player. But my only concern is that he doesn't quite seem to have the ability to really grab hold of a game over a sustained period of time anyway. And Golovin has had to play slightly different roles, slightly more withdrawn roles uh, at CSKA, less spectacular perhaps, but I'd argue that he's got a touch more experience in playing a slightly more withdrawn role. So I'd go Glushkov, Zobnin and uh, Golovin. That would be my midfield three. Okay, lovely. And moving on to the actual fixtures now. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
We, you mentioned earlier New Zealand that first game. I mean, the, th- the thing is actually a, a side issue here. The ticket prices for that first game are insane. I think it's. I think at my last check, I've just tried to check now, but I couldn't get in to because you need a FIFA account or something like that. But my first check was it was about hundred pounds. It was around that, maybe a bit less than hundred pounds to see that first game. So, can you imagine the price of the final and then the price for the World Cup next year? But that's a, that's a completely different issue. My main point is, apart from New Zealand, but even then, New Zealand, you never know. <laughs> then you got Portugal and Mexico. Toka, personally, I can't see them getting out of the group. No, I I agree. I have. This might sound harsh, but I have very very little faith, almost no faith in this. In this Russian team going into the tournament, I'm sorry, but first of all, with we have talked a lot about the criticism of of Chashov and the national team before, so I don't want to go into that. But then when you add uh, Takoev injury, then yeah, I I I feel how it will perform. I I read that uh, Mexico are playing in the Gold Cup later this summer, and that the Gold Cup might be might be their main priority. Of course, it's the North American Championship, so maybe they'll take the Maybe they'll take the Confederations Cup as, as somewhat of a, a training tournament. But anyway, I, if Russia goes out of the out of the group, it will be very, very uh, a great achievement. But I feel they'll end up with a, a, a point or two, like in the in the World Cup and in the Euro. I I I I don't think they'll advance. I just can't see it happen. And Andrew, what what's your you're you're more optimistic than Toka generally? So, what's your prediction, or are you going to disappoint us? I mean, I, I, I wouldn't blame you if you did. <laughs> well, I think really it's likely to come down to that last game against Mexico. So, on the twenty fourth of June, Mexico will play Russia and New Zealand will play Portugal. And I think the fact that they'll have three points, and I, I say they will, and I'm, I'm just dreading that game now against New Zealand. Just you know, if it gets nil nil at half time, I'd be careful of that game. They they could. Yeah, they've got a history of doing stuff. I mean, look. I mean, let's 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 be brutally honest. It is a possibility that New Zealand could put in the spirited performance of a lifetime. But if if Russia have any hopes, any ambitions whatsoever, then beating New Zealand at home is about the safest banker they should be looking at. They should be obviously looking to win that game. So if they go into the last group game, perhaps having lost to Portugal, but uh, needing to beat Mexico in the last game. I I think it's I think it's a 50-50 for me. Um I wouldn't say it would be a huge achievement to qualify. I would say they should be hoping to qualify, but it does mean they're going to have to be one of the one of the higher ranked countries in the world actually. But I think that that gold cup factor certainly will play clutching play Andrew. Russia. I think you're clutching. I'm clutching, I know, but look, we're Russian football fans, but that's what we do, isn't it? You know, um, but no, so, seriously though, I I do think I think it's I, I, honestly on a knife edge. I'd say it's fifty-fifty at the moment. Um, it depends for me what team he puts out and what intention Chichesov has for the tournament. If he's going to continue chopping and changing even through the group stage, which I think would be a mistake. I think he should treat this with a level of seriousness and try and play a first choice team. But uh, yeah, that Mexico game, very, very important one. I, I, I'm going to be the optimist. I'm going to say Russia will just about um, just about sneak through. One thing I would say, though, Tom, you mentioned the ticket prices. I mean, I, I don't mean to rub this in, guys, but um, the for residents, which I now officially qualify. As, yeah, it's a lot cheaper, uh, isn't it? It's it's nine hundred rubles um, for. I think is it as cheap as that? Game. I actually thought it was. I thought it was around fifty or even seventy or something pounds. Well, um, yeah, it's uh, 
my, my friend Paul, who lives in St. Petersburg, he's got a ticket for the New Zealand game and he paid 900 rubles. And uh, yeah, now that um, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say this just on a personal note. I am pretty, pretty happy this week because for the, I've been trying three years to do this and I finally got my temporary residence officially confirmed, which means most importantly, I can get cheaper World Cup tickets. So uh, <laughs> you also get cheaper things, cheaper entrance to museums and other cultural events. Well, absolutely. You know, um, that's that's what I've been waiting for for seven and a half years to get into the Chumen <laughs> City Museum. Chumen has a museum. Amazing. Well, I mean, they do, but you know, it is free anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> no difference for me there. They should, they'll pay you but to no. go in now. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yeah. But I'm just looking at the Mexico squad, by the way, just before we finish off. Uh, the Mexico squad, just looking at it now, this is um, for friendlies, though, but there's a lot of experience in there. They've got the likes of Rafael Marquez, uh, Cuadrado, and then you've got Hernandez up front. It's uh, quite dangerous, really. But um, just before we go very quickly, outside of Russia for the Confeds, who are you both tipping to win, just in just in one word, Toka? Well, with one word, I, I, I hope Chile will win. I love that team. I've watched them two, two plays them like two times, and it's just such an entertaining, entertaining national team. So I'll, I'll be rooting for them and, and Russia. Okay, and Andrew, what about you? Well, Russia, of course. <laughs> so you think Russia? Okay, well, that's your opinion. That's fine. That's <laughs> fine. Okay, I said it now. I stuck my neck on the line. I'm going to say Russia. <laughs> okay, I, I'm siding with Chile or Germany, to be honest. Um, okay, well, again, that's been really good show. Thanks, guys, for uh, for turning up, I should say. But um, to the listeners out there. Do subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes. Uh, I'm sure there's probably other ways in the podcast world that you can subscribe to this thing. Uh, RussianFootballNews.com, of course, for all the, the latest articles, I'm sure. Toker, is there anything interesting there? Well, so everything's interesting, obviously, but anything going up of note? We have a, a couple of opinion pieces coming on things from the Russian, of course, the national team squad. We have something on Ruben Kassan coming. Uh, yeah, we have we have always things coming. Really, it depends on what you're into. We just published an article about one of the first great Russian goalkeepers, Nikolai Sokolov, who, who lived in the um, who lived in the beginning of the last century. And then we have uh, articles coming on the relegation battle and everything. So it it really depends on if you love the fall history or current events. There's something for everybody. Okay, perfect. There's also the awards coming up, aren't there? You can readers can vote for that. Oh yeah, we have the RFN awards where we where we vote for have voted for the player of the season, team of the season, Russian player of the season, young player of the season, all these things. That should be published sometime around this weekend. So that's definitely something to look forward to. I hope we'll start some debates. And of course, we're not going to have any slip ups like at the Oscars for that one. Um, Twitter, Russ Football News, of course, do follow there. You'll get plenty of updates all the time. And then Russian Football News on Facebook as well. So again. Um, Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next podcast.